Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week, the week of May 29th, rolling into June. Monday is Memorial Day, a day that we reflect, a day that we think of our service members uh, here and abroad, protecting our freedoms and allowing us to do what we do at home. And uh, for that, I am grateful for those that serve and protect my freedom. Thank you. I appreciate all of you, and we'd love to hear from you. Don't be afraid to use the email at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you're serving overseas or domestically here within our country, protecting our borders and freedoms. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hear where you are, what you do, where you're stationed. Um, I think it'd be great. We'd love to share some of those stories. So don't be afraid to reach out. Anyway, this week, all new episodes by National Fire Radio. Some great heavy hitters. Some very powerful episodes will be coming out as well as a new episode from The Size Up on this Tuesday. So thanks for tuning in. As always, please do me a favor and give our sponsors a quick listen before we roll into the daily episode. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at BoxAlarmGrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on and they provide nothing but top shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFRSENTME. That's NFRSENTME for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. For the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Working on the feedback, working on the feedback. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us today. My job tonight is to introduce the panel. My partner, Rob Ridley with National Fire Radio. Rob's going to do some of the interview questions as well. Um, It's always an honor to sit and talk about the job. 
and share the passion with everybody that's here. For you guys that are here, thank you for being here. Pete, thank you for opening your doors at Ragtop. Round of applause for Pete and his crew at Ragtop for the work they do. So, the, oh, he's, you need a picture or anything? You good? I'm waving to my staff. All right, that's my good. Staff, we were doing yeah, because without I mean, them, brother. Listen, without my staff, a round of applause for my staff, really, because they're the ones that put it off. He's Not right. Me. I'm just a pretty face with the nice hair that I'm losing. So something that's really cool, right, for me, is that the mission of Ragtop is very similar to what National Fire Radio is about. It's about preserving the tradition and culture of the fire service. You know, we take pride in the helmets that we wear on the fire ground every single day. It's our personality. It's who we are. It also shows the scars of the jobs that we go to. Uh, Pete and his crew here do an incredible job preserving that culture, history, and tradition when it comes to fire helmets. And so they do incredible work. So Pete and his crew have been uh, really good friends of ours, and I appreciate um, everything that they've done for us, and I appreciate our friendship, Pete. So thank you. Thank you. All right, real quick, we're going to do quick introductions. I don't have big bios on all of you. I know several of you. Uh, I'm just going to go down the list that I have in no particular order. Uh, Assistant Chief Justin McCarthy uh, retired out of New Haven and is now with Greenwich, Connecticut. Chief, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Lieutenant Robert James, also known as RJ, Capital Fire Training, Frederick County, Maryland. RJ, thank you. You guys are killing me up there with these mics. That's you, RJ. RJ is on the left up here. Should I just be the mic girl? Would you please? I'll just strip Pete down. Pete Calland, owner down. and operator of Ragtop Industries, as well as uh, New Haven, Connecticut. That's correct. Yes, Thank sir. you, brother. You're welcome. Um, guys, feel free to like liven this place up a little bit, will you? Paul Conway, second from the left. Paul's a staple in the American Fire Service with his helmet shields, his leather work. Paul, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Appreciate you. Right-hand side in that nice color shirt, I'd say that's mauve or something like that, brother. Uh, Danny McCauley out of Boston Fire. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Jay Urban, City of New London, Connecticut. Thank you, brother, for being here today. Thank you. And then we have a late arrival. Uh, thankfully, he's wearing clothes that fit him this evening. It's a little inside joke. Ron Smith, Gary, Indiana. Ron, thanks for being here, buddy. Wow, there he'll, it is. He'll be on Look the swing that. later. Uh, training so, seconds. So training real, seconds real as well. Here. Don't forget that. Training seconds. Absolutely. He is the he is the uh, the personality and beautiful face behind training seconds. And that's why they're training seconds and not training minutes. Very good, sir. Thank you. So, gentlemen, thank you for sitting on the panel tonight. I appreciate this. As you know, when we do roundtables, we love to throw softballs to you guys. We'd love to get some insights and feedback. Um, I talked about tradition and culture. The mission of National Fire Radio is very much that, right? We preserve the talk of the job. We preserve it through podcasts and social media content. And we do that so it's here in perpetuity, meaning it's here forever. We capture the stories of the senior man, and we put them out on the contents and channels that matter of today, so those stories are here for generations to come. This job is built on storytelling, right? Embellished or not, it's built on that back bumper kitchen table talk, and that's super important. So what I'd like to do is talk about that senior man position. I kind of want to roll it out. You guys have all been in the fire service for many years, so I'd love to start the conversation and talking about the importance of the senior man 
departments that lack it. There's a lot of companies that don't have people in those positions, in that informal position, and it's lacking. And so where I'd like to go, um, well, we have a chief on the panel, so we go right to the chief with that first, and then it trickles down from there. I will say this, too, just ground rules for the, for the roundtable. We have seven guests. Every guest is not going to be able to hit every topic we talk about so if you guys have something you want to say hop on the mic and we'll just continue the conversation i'd also like to say this too anybody sitting here if you have a question you want to ask please ask it let me know grab me grab rob ask the question we'd love to hear your question because nobody wants to hear me talk so chief senior man of the fire service the importance of it and what can you tell me about it in your personal experience yeah, so I'll tell a quick anecdote. The first senior man I ever had walked in the firehouse wearing boat shoes, got dropped off by a taxi, and was wearing a Steelers jersey. So it's not necessarily always the guy with the most amount of time on the job. So that's first and foremost. I think with the senior man position, senior firefighter position, is somebody who actually genuinely cares, knows the firehouse, knows the apparatus, knows the equipment, and knows what to expect, right? And they're the one who's going to guide the ship. Nothing should go to the officer unless it really has to. And I can tell you right now, if it gets to the chief's office and it doesn't belong there, it's more frustrating than it got there. So as, as a chief, I get more and more frustrated about things that make it to my office that don't belong there, and they should be settled by the senior person telling the, the crew what's reality and what's not and what should be important and what isn't. So I'll defer to Jeremy to, to dictate who goes next or to Pete. So I'll, I'll jump in here. So recently, so for, so I've been on New Haven. I'm going into my 10th year, nine complete 10th year. Um, time flies. So if you guys are on, get, just getting on a job or want to get on a job, time flies. I spent about 90% of my career in special operations company, squad two, uh, rescue one earlier this year, I was transferred off rescue one. I was transferred to engine nine, um, engine nine's a single engine house with a chief in there. And so I went from a world of almost my entire career of operating in a special operations atmosphere um, on a squad, on a rescue company with a whole set of roles and responsibilities where we have, without a doubt, in, in my career, so this is my 23rd, 23rd year in the fire service between the military, City of New Haven, on uh, volunteering. So, you know, I've seen a lot of senior guys, you know, come and go during that time. And with Rescue One in New Haven has one of the, without a doubt, one of the best senior guys I've ever seen in my life, Mark Gianelli. Um, and he's been, a, he's been a good friend to me, uh, to me before I got on the job and, uh, and as well as on the job. Um, so he was, he was the senior guy, and he ran, you know, he ran, he runs Rescue One, and you know he's the senior guy. Uh, so when I got transferred to Engine 9, there's a lot of young people assigned there, and I found out that I'm actually the senior private in the entire firehouse. Um, so it's, it's changed uh, roles and responsibilities um, so throughout your career, a lot of your roles and responsibilities, you know, can change. You know, you're working, you're working in one environment one day, and then the next, next environment, you find out you're the senior private in the entire firehouse, and you have a whole bunch of young guys that are assigned. Um, so now you're, now, you're looking at, uh, now you're looking at training, you're looking at firehouse conduct, you're looking at all those things, and you're kind of, your eyes change. So it's, it's one of those things. As you go out throughout your career, you, you may find yourself in, in situations you didn't expect um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, like the chief said, it's, it's not always the guy with the most time on the job that's, that's a leader in your department, but, um, you know, focusing on, on the well running of the firehouse is what, is what makes you a senior man and what makes you important to the cog that is the fire service. So that's just my two cents. That's all I got. That was like seven that cents. Was like seven cents? Yeah, it was like seven, seven cents. cents, Peter. Listen, if you know me and all you guys on this panel know me, you know I like to talk. I think that, thanks. <laughs> I think there's a big difference between a senior man who wants to train and educate 
the people that work with him or her and invest in the department and make it better or some recliner magnet who's just going to sit there and watch the same episode of Law and Order at 1 o'clock every day because that's what he wants to just occupy space. There's a big difference between this. So necessarily having 28 or 29 years on the job at Backstep is a true thing, and I value that person that puts the time in and wants to be the senior man or the senior person and, and work to make that department better. But there are people out there that would between the 7 to 15-year range, and that is the, the senior aspect of our fire service right now is the people that have anywhere from 7 to 15 years because there's so much turnover. So you don't necessarily have to look to that person with 30 years. Look for that person between 7 to 15 years that's taking classes, that's out there working, that's trying to make it better, that's making sure that the hose loads in the truck are well done, the housework is done, that's doing their job, and is just has a great attitude. And that's who you should be looking at, not necessarily the person that's just been there for decades because they're there for decades. And that's just me. All right. So uh, up until uh, 2021, I got promoted uh, to lieutenant in 2021. I was the senior man, uh, squad three in Frederick. And uh, I was talking to Chief Conway last night. We were talking about some of the roles as a senior man. And uh, one of the biggest things is not only for me, uh, my role was being in charge of the firehouse and making sure nothing got to the captain. But for me, my role was to make sure things were taken care of outside of the firehouse. Um, when you're a senior guy, you need to make sure, like, your guys are taking care of outside of the firehouse. Uh, I was very big in keeping up with the guys' lives, like, making sure that they're, you know, especially the young kids coming on the job, making sure their rookie books are done, answering questions they have about the job. Uh, I would take guys out on their days off, go learn the streets, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not just in the firehouse. It's outside of the firehouse, too. Uh, and, and just making sure you have the bandwidth to take care of the, the people. Essentially, my department is uh, it's about 560-something people on the floor. And our department's getting younger and younger. So now we have people coming on the job who are essentially going to fall into the senior man roles, and they only have four years on the job. So the biggest thing that we can do as senior guys and senior leaders in our department is to make sure we're teaching them the right things, teaching them what they need to know, and teaching them how to be able to make decisions without, like Chief McCarthy said, without having to go to the boss. It was one of my rules, a house rule. If there was an issue, it came to me first. I addressed it, and we made it happen. You got a guy show up late, we make it happen before it gets to the boss. You know, we get, make sure the, the, the spot's covered, make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a huge, huge honor. But I'll be honest with you, uh, in my department, just as much as you have the time on a job, if you don't have the, res the respect and the responsibility, you just don't get the title senior man. Uh, you have to do all the little things in order to have that respect. You have to take care of the people. You have to take care of the house. You have to take care of the rigs. Just because you got 15 years on a job and, and you essentially fall into the senior role, uh, it can be stripped. Your title can be stripped of you just as fast. So that's... So it's funny you say that, man. Back when I was, uh, I was fairly younger, I had, a, I had a boss that micromanaged everything. Um, and as a young guy on the job, I couldn't, I couldn't question him because I was new. That wasn't my role. But my biggest thing that I did was uh, I let my, let my performance speak on the street. All right? You can question me in the firehouse. You can, you can micromanage me about 
fucking mopping the floors, everything like that, right? But when we go on the calls, like, my performance is going to show you that I don't need to be micromanaged, right? You're going to tell me, hey, I want, you want a job done? I'm going to get the job done. You know what I mean? You're going to tell me, hey, stretch the line to the second floor? I'm going to get the line to the second floor. You're not going to realize that I had to jump over three fences. I had to go through this, that. I got chased by a dog around the corner, right? The job was to get to the second floor, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, when you perform that way and you, your, your performance speaks louder than your mouth, it, it, it'll say a lot. And then you, you kind of have, and at least I, I, have, I, I can't say I worked for many bosses that were micromanagers, but um, I, I had one. And I, I think the more I showed myself on the street, the more I showed my, my skill level and the more I showed that I cared and I was into it, he kind of backed up off me a little bit. And then I became the guy he relied on. And I mean, I'm not going to say that's the answer for everybody. And some, sometimes you just might have micromanagers, you know what I mean? And I don't really have a lot of uh, answers for that. I dealt with one, and that's how I, I came across it. So hopefully, hopefully that helps. Over here. Hold on. You got a little something. I got something on the micromanager, Jeremy. I, I want to talk about that real quick. So I, I take great pride in trying to not micromanage, and every single micromanager that I've called out didn't know they were a micromanager. They, it, it's a psychological thing, and I, I think that that's where the, the senior man – needs to step up to the plate, stop being a coward, go up to the officer and say, hey, bro, leave us alone, all right? We got it. We haven't failed you yet. We haven't done anything to prove to, to you that we're incompetent, that we don't know what we're doing, that the housework's not, not getting done, right? Everything's getting done around the firehouse. Everything's being checked, and when we go to a call, we perform. So knock it off, stand back. Like, that's a private conversation you have behind closed doors, but that's where the senior man needs to come in, all right? And needs to step up to the plate. And you know what? A lot of people whether it's in this room, whether it's watching, whether it's listening, whatever it is, they're more than happy to crawl down a dark hallway, but they're scared to death to go in the office and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Ron? Ron, you can only, you can only speak in seconds, Ron. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's helping. Three mics? So two step mics? up. Be the senior man. That's it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> what is the deal with this PA? Who's the sound guy? Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Next year. Next year. So on my job, seniority is a lot. I call it the uh, participation trophy. There's a lot of guys that hang around for a long time um, because of brownouts and closures and things. Um, <laughs> such weird feedback. Uh, there's a lot of guys that show up. So um, I don't give that away to just anybody that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the senior guy in the house. It's the guy that's doing stuff. And so being able to step up, and because seniority is so big in my job, it's hard to get promoted. Um, hold this for a second. I think this might help. I used to do this in the band. <laughs> um, so the, uh, that informal promotion of the senior man kind of boosts his uh, confidence, and I think that that drives it. I think that... Me trusting that guy to get that job done is a consolation prize to not being able to get promoted. Because on my job, 20 years, is not, you're not going to get promoted to lieutenant in 20 years. It's just not going to happen. We got a lot of people here who are, we're talking about the senior man, but we got a lot of potential junior mans in front of us. What that, for you guys, what's the uh, junior firefighter need to do to succeed in that first year when they're making that impression? What's like, so we hit that senior man, but let's talk about that junior firefighter who's coming in and they're trying to make the impression. What are some back pocket skills that they can bring to the table? 
So I think that's probably me. I'm at that uh, 12 year mark now. Uh, kind of like the middle guy, but like what he said, you know, one of the biggest things is going to the officer. Even if I'm not the senior man, I don't mind going into the office and saying to the boss, hey, we want to do this. Hey, we'd like to do this. The guys want to do this. I don't mind that at all. But you have to keep up with the guys. That middle guy position is probably one of the most important. You know, that and the senior man, the two will make and break that firehouse and that company. Um, For me, like when I go in, I make sure all the guys are good. I make sure the equipment's good. I'm even making sure the piece is good, even if I'm not driving. Take a look around. You know, like, what's going on? Is something out of order? Keep in contact with those guys, too. Like, how are they How are they doing? Like RJ said, you know, like, is their time off the job, is that going well? You know, that's going to affect them on the fire floor. So talking to them about that, talk to them about the day, what they want to do, what they want to train on. Hey, do you see that? Bring things up. You know, you see a lot of drills on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. It doesn't have to be stretching 400 feet of line and throwing 12 ladders and, you know, you're spent for the rest of the day. This could be a a two-minute, five-minute conversation at the kitchen table. It's just talking about something. Hey, if we went to this, what do you think? What would you do? Get their opinion. Go around the room. Just have that conversation. But that's huge. It's just staying in contact. You know, if the guys notice something, hey, this is off. Or this equipment screwed up. Then, like, I take it upon myself. I mean, my piece is pristine. You know, we get, like, a scratch on the piece, and I'm like, who did it? I'm, like, looking around, you know, like, who worked last night? It is what it is. But it's my job to, like, make sure that, you know, I'm conversating with the senior man and also with the boss. I don't mind that, you know, trying to keep that ball rolling and making sure we're on the right page. So for the junior people or potential junior people, one day you'll be on the job. Um, I, like I tell my kids, and this is training seconds worthy, I tell my kids, never pass a problem you can fix. And if you're a rookie, you should never, if you see a piece of paper, you see something out of place, see something that's dirty, see some dishes, fix it. I, it's interesting coming from a different generation and seeing a new generation of firefighters coming in and the difference between the generations and how we learn and all that, and I understand it completely. We were taught differently. People are taught differently. I guess the one thing I can pass on is never be told something twice because then you develop a pattern, and if we have to break you out of that pattern, that slows down our training process. You're entitled to make mistakes. You're entitled to learn. That's how we all do it. We all made mistakes, and we move forward. So if you're on the fire ground, and you do something that needs to be corrected, and we have a teaching moment from it, we correct it, and we move on it. If it happens again, then it's a problem. Then we have to retrain and redo things. So not being told the same thing twice, that's the best thing I can tell someone that's just starting out. You can buy anything you want. You can get your leather helmet, get your leather, your straps, buy all this uh, stuff. Get your helmet Get yourself top. all decked out at ragtop. Rag I mean, honestly. Rag I don't right care. Watch your YouTube videos. Do all the things. Follow everybody on social media. Do all that stuff that makes you happy. Fine. I love it. Training seconds. Watch so many training seconds it turns into training weeks. I don't care. You know, great. But just don't be told the same thing twice. And that's it. And I think that's just simple. I think as I think as a junior firefighter, I look back when I started is and now looking back at what social media has is you have to find that person in your firehouse or on your shift who's going to, who's, you're going to gravitate to, who's going to mentor to you. 
So you, like you said, there's a lot on social media about, you know, I can throw a 35 foot by myself four times a week and I can stretch, you know, seven lines a day on my shift. But what department SOGs and department policies and procedures do you need to know to perform your job? And as a junior firefighter, you don't know those going in. So what firefighter, what officer is going to, is going to direct you to those and is going to mentor you in that, in that respect. And I think that's, that's kind of huge is looking at, you know, what your department does and why they do it. I think I've asked him, you know, Chief McCarthy here, a hundred different questions about why New Haven does things the way they do. And that was kind of the one thing he taught me was before you question something, find out why it's done the way it's done before you do that. So you have to find that person that's going to be able to answer those questions for you before you decide to move on and make your own opinion about the way your department does something. Paul, what was it like for you uh, as a as a probationary firefighter? Well, yeah, yeah, for you, like when you were that junior man, when you were that probationary I was, I firefighter. I was listening to him, and I just... No, it's all right. Pete's very... Mo- yeah. So, my suggestion, first off, is to be an apprentice in your craft. And what does that mean? It means that you spend the time that you can, and obviously, if you have family, you're a husband, a father, or a, or a mother, for that matter, whatever. But spend time in your craft... Keep your mouth quiet, your ears open, and learn everything you can. And that means beyond the job. You know, that means beyond your firehouse, beyond your fire department. Get out in the world and see what's going on. Take in some other classes, learn from some other people. I think over the years, uh, and I, we were discussing this earlier, that I, I took a class a long time ago with this Lieutenant, uh, I think his name was John Norman, and he was teaching out in Long Island. I think his name was John Norman. And, uh, and, and I remember sitting in a truck company in the, in the Bronx one day when I was visiting, listening to this lieutenant by the name of Bob Morris, who we were passing on tactics between how the city of Milwaukee operates their ladder companies and how the city of New York operates theirs. And uh, the point is, is that both of us gained information that day. And there was a guy that obviously we know that, you know, Bob went on to be who Bob is. And, uh, but at that moment, two people were exchanging information from two different environments. As far as, you know, I know that, and I know there's New York City guys here, they, a lot of them think that life doesn't exist past the Hudson River, but it really does. And, uh, uh, but we learned something, we both learned something. So continually educate yourself and continually learn and continually grasp for every little thing you can because a lot what happens what I've and what I see is some folks want to be the senior person they want to be that person but they have no grasp or understanding of what it took to become that person and if you drill down and you look at that senior firefighter you will learn that that person Never, ever, ever stop learning. So again, sum it up, mouth shut, ears open, listen to what people tell you, ask why. But I also think that the, for the senior people, we have to understand that the firefighters that we have today, and now I've been out 10 years, so that makes it even more so, they learn different than I did. They really do. So you have to get into their world too and understand how they learn. 
so that you're not leaving them behind and saying, ah, that kid doesn't know anything, that kid doesn't do this or do that. Well, no, that's because we didn't change. We didn't adapt to the world they're in. They're still the same good people. We just have to be able to teach them at a level they understand. So there it is. I, I got to piggyback on, on Paul on this one. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, but there's, a, there's an article that was written. It was by a fire chief. It talked about how the young generation didn't want to work hard. They didn't step up to the plate. They didn't want to take the extra hours. They didn't want to, you know, learn the new tactics. They didn't want to – it basically – if you read the article, it was what everybody says today, right? And it was written in 1928, right? So when every single person on this group started, everybody talked crap about you. They talked crap about your generation. They said you weren't going to be good enough. They said you weren't going to do it. And then now it's completely flip-flop. My father's generation's out, and they talk trash about me. Now I've moved up. Now I talk trash about the younger generation. It's pretty much how it goes. But at the same time, you can't forget that. And the fires are still going out, so. There's not one still burning yet. Uh, well, maybe, yeah, yeah, it's just that. That one, but. None of them in Greenwich or New Haven. That's all I care about. <laughs> for, for everybody up, who's up here, what's your, uh, just for softball, what's your coveted position in the firehouse? Oh, boy. Captain of the squad. Where I'm at. I love it. I love it. I spent my whole career trying to get where I'm at. That's where I'm at, and I love it. I love my crew. Why? Because uh, we, we go to jobs, bro. We go to jobs. <laughs> yeah. We freelance until the fire goes out. <laughs> Being in position is for probies. <laughs> Freelancing's where it's at. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I, I, I have a copyright on that. Freelance until the fire goes out. Until extinguish and return. Uh, best spot for me in the fire ground was the lieutenant of the heavy rescue. I get it. Engine is the backbone of the fire department. I will not. I will say it till the Ooh. day I die. The engine is the back step of the fire. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it takes a lot of effort to stand on top of the fire. Yes, I get it. To be there. Yes. Oh, yes. I know. Swinging axes, throwing ladders. I get it. The red top on the helmets. I mean, I, yes. I bless you. Yes, you do the Lord's work. Yes. <laughs> but to me, like being in a position where. You can just be there to help out when the others need a little bit of assistance to get their job done. And that's it. Just being put in a position to fill gaps, to make sure that things be done, and to be counted on when questions need to be, hey, we need a little help with this, and that's it. Other than that, just let the people just do their job because they're all competent in doing their job. That's to me, that was the best spot. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Hazards, yes. You got to say, like, idea hazards, yes. Yes. Great, hazards, yep. But the thing is, though, in those positions, it's that mindset of being on the fire ground and being five steps forward. I think it's really interesting, right? Because I don't think we teach that cognizant mindset on the fire ground that we want all of our people to be in positions two steps ahead of where they need to be. And I think that comes with specialized training. Like when you start doing technical rescue training and do like special ops training, it teaches people to think on their own and it thinks them to critically think. So if you can tell someone, if you teach technical rescue and you get your people involved in like whatever technical aspect it is and you tell them, hey, I need you to go over and do this discipline and do it by yourself, 
do it, and then walk away from it. When you get them on the fire ground, you say, hey, I need you to just take a walk around the back of the building, give me a size up to see what's going on, and just let me know if we need to be back there or not. And you get them to critically think, work on their own, they're not micromanaged, and they learn to develop because someday, the people under your command, you're not gonna be there, and they're gonna get jammed up. And they're gonna be in a position where they're by themselves, they're gonna get injured, hurt, or in a mayday, and they have to think for themselves to get themselves out of the situation they're in. And if you don't set your people up to think for themselves and to help themselves, you're failing them. Well, think about it this way. Every young guy that's sitting in this room is going through the academy, and they're taught two-man service. Uh, two-man yeah, I know, nuts to butts, I get it. Yep, hands up. Yeah. I've been a junior varsity fireman my whole life. I've been on three-person engine companies, two-person truck companies, three-person heavy rescues, a medium-sized department. I've been a JV fireman my whole life. We get the job done, and everyone here works on a suburban fire department, and they all do more with less, and that's what we should be focusing on. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to set your people up to think by themselves because you're going to operate alone. First, I just want to say, there is two guys in a truck. You can teach that class. That can be done with two guys. Just saying. Just saying. Shameless plug for Dan's class, everybody. Everybody sign up for Dan's class. <laughs> the name's changed. Don't worry. Um, I think he brings up a great point. I mean, you know, what happens in the academy? You brought up search. It's made its rounds on social media, the human centipede you know, doing the search. That's still being taught in the academy right now. Like, as we speak, there is academies teaching multiple people to go in nuts to butts, literally just staring at the person in front of them. That's being taught right now. So trying to get out of that, trying to get out of that. Try to point it this way. If you point it this way, I know. Hey, hold that okay. That might be. Maybe we were over there. Maybe we can down. All right, nuts to butts, human centipede. But we got to break that. We got to get out of that. Like Jay said, you know, like you have to make people think. Like they can't go back to that basic academy training and think that they're going to get everywhere on the fire ground with that training. It's not going to happen. The first time something happens, they're going to be clueless. They're going to be looking around, looking for either that middleman, that senior man, that boss. Like, now what? You know, like, we, didn't, we weren't taught this in the fire academy. So we have to break that. But to what he said, 100%. I mean, making your people think, get that critical thinking. They can make decisions on their own, 100%. Okay. All right, so uh, I would say up until... I got promoted, I'd be in line with everybody up here on this panel. And my view is going to be completely different than everybody up here. And they're all my friends. So uh, I think the most infectious uh, position in the firehouse or in the fire ground 
is the role that I'm in now, which is the detail officer. I, uh, I'm a rescue guy, and if you know me, I'm a rescue guy. I'm a big rescue guy. I live rescue shit. I study rescue shit. I'm in special ops. But since I got promoted, I became a, a float boss, and I float to different houses every tour. I think that the biggest impact is a person like me who covers a different company, and I can help so many people every time I go to work in different roles. And I have learned myself how to be a better firefighter. I realized for the last eight years prior to me getting promoted, I was assigned to a rescue company, and I realized how much stuff I forgot because I wasn't doing the run-of-the-mill basic stuff. I wasn't stretching lines. I wasn't running the, you know, the electrical odors, that kind of stuff. But now that I'm in a float role, I run this shift. I'm, on, I'm back at the rescue. Next tour, I'm on a truck. Next tour after that, I'm on an engine. And maybe the next three tours, I'm on an engine. And I'm back to, you know, so I float around. I think that as a detailed boss, I can spread so much positive stuff about the fire service to people who want to learn. And every tour I go to work, it's a new place. And at that new place, I get to help a new group of people. And I can look, at the, look across the room, I can find a senior guy out of the group, and I can see that of the five people that I'm working with for the tour, four of them have like two years on a job. And they all want to be good and they all want to be better at something. And I can help that group of five. Then the next tour, it's on to the next place. And then the next place, I pretty much can help a whole new group of people all over again. And I just literally bounce around from spot to spot and just infect people with positivity of the fire service that, like, you guys are all here, like, we are all here to be better about. I can infect that with people as I spread around working in different battalions. Do I want to have a home? Absolutely. But I don't want to just have a home with people who don't want to work, right? I'd rather have a good home where I can I wait and earn my spot back into that spot. Uh, and until that such time, I just keep going around and just helping people and be better at the job. And just, like, everybody up here, we love, have, have a passion for the job, just like all of you guys, right? All of you guys that are here right now are here because you have a passion for the job. Like, you're here because you wanted to... Uh, learn something or you wanted to see somebody or you wanted to meet somebody or you wanted to get something at one of these tables that you can take back to your job and put in your pocket or put on your head or whatever or even you bought something for somebody else that's on your crew a bunch of people came up to the table bought stuff for other guys so just as much as you guys are doing that I'm doing the same thing in my department where it's bringing back positivity we're infecting people with positivity because we care that much. And I'll be honest with you, up until two, 2021, I would say that the, the detailed boss, the guy who's going around spreading the positivity, spreading the, the infecting people with, with passion for the job, that's the most important role. And I know all these guys, I was a rescue guy, you know what I mean? All these guys are rescue guys, truck guys, engine guys. But I think the guy who can move around and spread that knowledge to other people, I think that's the most important part. As far as the best position, Tillerman, hands down. Hey Amen. Yeah, don't drop the don't drop that microphone. It's expensive. Best spot I ever had. Yeah. But I, we're all but, out down here. Yeah. 
so, but I, I do want to bring up the point, though, that if we are, if our training academies, and I, I've been blessed, the city of Milwaukee ran heavy. We had personnel. We weren't New York City, but we had, you know, four or five on a company. We had, we had all of those things. But if our academies are teaching A, and then they get in the street, and they have to learn B, then as a system, we're letting down the people who are coming into our career. Because we are giving them an opportunity to say, I asked you a minute ago to become, you know, to get to the point of being a journeyman, to be an apprentice. And if all of your apprenticeship is something you're never going to use because you have to work in a department. We, the communities around the city of Milwaukee run three. They, I mean, all this, it's not like it's something new. But if we're not going to train them as they're going to operate, then we are failing them as, as young firefighters, plain and simple. And we need to look at that. You know, I, I, I was, again, I was blessed to retire the chief operations. And, and if that was the case, if my, if my academy was not teaching what's taught in the street, I would be in, with the chief of the, of the school and ask him, why is this happening? And I understand that the states have standards. We had to test to the state standard, but we also, our academy was 16 weeks long, so we spent our time teaching them, this is how we roll on the street, and this is what we do. And these are the different positions of the, from, from the chauffeur to the officer to so on and so forth. So, because we were distinct with riding positions, arrival assignments, all those other things. But if we're not doing that, and we're not doing it as leaders, then we're letting down the people who we, who we expect to become the future leaders of the fire service. So that has to get, if that is the case, that has to get fixed. Plain and simple, it's gotta get fixed. Are you looking for new forcible entry tools, seatbelt cutters, pouches, bags, screwdrivers, or even hose straps? Then head over to our friends at Modus Fire Rescue. They just might have what you're looking for. They're best known for their tool, the Snagger, but currently they have more than 25 products on their site, with more being added monthly. Also, while you're there, use code THESIZEUP, one word, to save 5% off your order. Everyone up here has been in that low manpower situation. As uh, Jay said, he's been on the JV team his whole career. How, how do we prepare for that low manpower effectiveness because I know myself I've struggled with this in my own job there's no there's no book that says how to operate with four firefighters at a house fire and like they don't teach that in IFSTA or any other four-letter word uh, training manual so what do we do to prepare for that all right so full disclosure I came from a department before I went to New Haven that ran a, a six-man shift and McMansion's everywhere. The department I'm on now run, runs three-man engines with, with volunteer combination setup. Um, to piggyback on real quick, the, everybody always says the worst thing you could say is we've always done it that way. The worst thing you could say is forget everything you learned in the academy, which is what we say to every single person who walks through the door after they're done at the academy, which is the dumbest thing that the fire department does. All right? But as far as being in a smaller department, the one thing that I will say at least in Connecticut. I don't know how this is in other places. I mean, I'll, I'll hand it to RJ and Paul to kind of back it up. But <clears throat> we've gotten a lot better with mutual aid because the volunteers are struggling, 
right? I mean, that's a nationwide problem. People are having trouble keeping up with the requirements of the volunteer group. And it's just something that we're facing. We're handing a bunch of people a book and telling them they need to study up on hazmat when they might go on one hazmat in their career and they're not focused on basic things and perfecting the craft of what they're doing every day, right? It's, it's we're, we're, we're focused on uh, making sure that you can identify uh, tetrachlorine on a, on a rail car when there's no rail coming through your town, but we're not going over how to go over a basic call in a house looking for a odor of smoke, right? I mean, most of these people aren't coming into the fire service coming out of a trade anymore, so they don't understand how a furnace works. They don't understand how an HVAC unit works. They don't understand how an elevator works, but we're over here hammering six weeks of hazmat. It's the dumbest thing that we could possibly do. We're not realistic. We don't keep up with the times. We're constantly hammering. I mean, I took a 1072 hazmat class that went over chlorine cars. We haven't had a chlorine car in Connecticut in 10 years, right? But we, can, we don't touch on mercury. We don't touch on the things that we're going to every single day. There's not a thing on white powder, but we still go on them. Not in lithium, what'd you say? Lithium, lithium ion. ion. I mean, not hazmat's not even touching that yet, but we're still going over chlorine cars, right? We are not keeping up with things. And then we're asking volunteers and new guys coming into the fire service to perfect these advanced level things when they don't even know how to discover what's causing the smoke in the house and how to identify what an HVAC unit looks like. I had a person as a rookie while I was a lieutenant walk into a room with a furnace, look at me and say, which thing's the furnace? I mean, let's be real. That's what's going on now in the fire service. And then we're turning around and expecting volunteers to walk in the door and keep up on every single certification that they're not using every single day. Why do you think that it's failing? Right? That's why it's failing. We have people that want to come, they want to operate, they want to be helpful. Put them to use. It doesn't mean they have to be on the front line fighting the fire in the, in the IDLH atmosphere, but let's encourage people here. All right? Let's give them something to do. And that goes for all the rookies that are walking in the door right now. Let's show them what we actually do in the street and stop lying to them in these fire academies and these classes all over the world that are telling them everything's going to be okay, and then when you get there, they're, no of, they're completely confused, and they fail constantly, not knowing that they're not doing a good job. And then what do the senior guys do? They complain about them. It's a problem. It absolutely takes work, and I'll tell you right now, I have a big problem with anything that is an acronym in the fire service. Agencies that are an acronym are a problem. So um, I can honestly say that uh, we moved forward in Indiana um, when we adopted 
the fire engineering curriculum. We uh, got rid of IFSA. Um, we stopped having that problem. There's also a loophole in our system that allows the authority having jurisdiction to dictate curriculum. So we're forming our own engine manual, our own truck manual, and we will teach our academy only that. I keep trying, I'm, my current mission in Indiana is to do away with the need for Firefighter 2. I have never ever in my life turned to a rookie and say, hey, do you know how to operate this system? Or, hey, can you help me with this radio? I don't understand comms. I've never had that. I've never, I, what I want them to do is stretch lines and throw ladders. When I was in the academy every day, I don't care what we were doing. I don't care if we were doing bandaging and splinting. They threw a ladder, they did a little bit of a search, and they stretched hose every day. And you can do it. It doesn't cost anything. It takes a minute. A couple seconds. A couple seconds, maybe. <laughs> it is. It never gets old. Training your operational reality. I think that's the aspect, like Chief McCarthy was saying. Like, train your operational reality. Like, I get it. I like to take classes. I see all these classes. I teach throughout the country. I see people taking classes. And people, you know, you trend to migrate towards these classes taught by people who work for big city jobs and they have six-person truck companies and six-person engine companies. And you're learning how to do a stretch with four to five people or three people to the outside team, three people to the inside team. And the same guy's going back to his firehouse and he cross-staffs a quint in a medic unit. And he's looking at both of them going, well, how am I going to do what I just learned? So... Don't lose the fire or the, the, the passion for training, but work towards something that's going to benefit you and your job and seek out those classes that's going to make you better. And, like, don't get your hopes up like you're going to come back to work and try and convince other people you work with, yeah, we're going to be the outside vent and we're going to be the irons and we're going to be roof, but it's all one guy that's got to do all the same three tasks because you work on a two-person truck. So make your expectations your reality. I mean, you're going to work and make the place the best that it is. But, you know, like Chief McCarthy said, if you don't have hazmat in your community, spend time learning how to stretch lines and learning how to work in one and a half story dwellings. Or, you know, don't spend time learning how to pick off a window washer when you don't have anybody washing windows in your community. I mean, just honestly, I've never seen one. I mean, why are we learning to rescue? I, I, whatever, I'm not going to rant. But <laughs> <laughs> why are we Anna Pig is ruining the fire service, but. Why are we, you know, train within your reality? I guess that's it. So. Right. Well, I think, too, I, ju I just had a conversation with a chief officer on my job the other day, and I said, you know, when I thought my career track was going to, my kind of my goal when I got hired in New Haven was I wanted to go to the training school. That was, that was where I wanted to go. Uh, my business has had other ideas. Um, so I didn't end up going that route. But I said, you know, why aren't we, you know, we should be creating a PowerPoint on building construction when they hit building construction in that in that block using those manuals of pictures of New Haven building construction of houses in the city of New Haven. We have an entire section of Dwight Street in, in the city that's post and beam construction. I mean, that's, that's, that's a kind of an anomaly, you know, in the area where we have a whole dedicated section. Um, and the fires react very differently to that. Um, so saying that if you're running a dedicated academy where it's a city academy, you know, start using, you know, replace those pictures and those PowerPoints with pictures from your own city. If, you know, you send your, your people to a, to a regional fire academy or you're a volunteer and you're doing Firefighter 1, Firefighter 2, you know, create those PowerPoints within your own department, within your own firehouse to say, hey, look, this is the building construction that we have. You're going over this in Fire 1, Fire 2. 
um, you're going this and over in this in the fire academy. Well, here's pictures of what you have in your area, and you can you can kind of parallel what you actually have to that to that information. So they're a little bit more prepared in the street when they say, "Oh, I've seen that building before," you know, and it was brought up in a PowerPoint. So just one of those things you can kind of correlate that. Got something from the audience here. Uh, so quick thing. So uh, on my way down here, I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine, uh, firefighter Dan Rinaldi. Most people know who Dan Rinaldi, senior private in Providence, been on special hazards for 32 years, Metro my. So he texted me. He asked me a question, not related to this, but I think it'd be good for the panel. So he texted me. He said, "Hey brother, I have a quick question for you. Do you feel like the art of using the deck gun has been lost? You check out fires in New Haven, similar cities to that in the Northeast. Why aren't we using the deck gun more?" And I, I had an answer to him. And I'd just like to see what some of you have, because he's looking to write an article on it. And I think it'd be really good as a discussion point, because I think we have gotten away from the use of the deck gun, because people are afraid to be labeled a coward and not just do what's supposed to be done and not be a pussy. But yes, and Chief McCarthy, I'm sure, can tell you a fire that in my head that I'm thinking of on Winchester Avenue. So I like to get the panel's opinion so I can go back to Dan and say, hey, all these gentlemen agree with you. So I'm just looking to see some of your guys' opinions so I can go back to Dan. Thank you. Yeah. So this is coming from a truck guy, but I work in the city of Boston. <laughs> I can actually say that um, we're seeing guys use the deck gun more and more incorrectly, not incorrectly. So if that helps his question a little bit, you're seeing guys make those decisions, that critical thinking like, hey, you know what? Maybe the deck gun, it doesn't have to, we don't have to put thousands of gallons of water through a window with a deck gun. It could be to protect an exposure. It could be a quick hit to stop it from going somewhere else. Could be a quick hit on a porch. You got front porches going, three floors. It doesn't have to be this long duration deck on event. Um, we carry the, the ball valve up top, so no one has to worry about it. He can charge that, get up there, open and close it as need be. So if that helps him at all, I'm seeing us use it correctly and more often. So uh, I'll jump in. Uh, and I'll say what it is, at least what I think it is. It's uh, piss poor training. So I think that a lot of people don't train on it, to be honest with you. And um, I can tell you coming from a department, and I don't think that my department's not aggressive, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, we train on it. And each company trains on their use of attack with it. Uh, I can tell you right now, there's a company 31 in my department, those guys are sharp with the deck gun. They've made hella stops on rocking townhouse fires all because of their tactics. And I'll, I'll tell you what the secret is. It's not a secret. I'll tell you what it is. They do what they call a blitz attack. The driver will get off the rig, and the crews will stretch a line, and the driver will charge the deck gun. They put a gate on the top. He'll, he'll pull the, the, the lever at the panel. He'll climb up top, open up the gate, and he will put the deck gun in the position where it needs to be while the crew is stretching the line. And while the crew's stretching the line and getting in place, he's already putting a hella knock on a rocket townhouse fire. So it's not that we're not being aggressive. We're still putting the line where we need to be. But now we've provided a better means for people, especially in townhouses, garden apartments, that type of thing. We have now put a knock on a rocking fire where people can now make the hallway and get outside or get, or get to the outside of the structure. In the meantime, while you have a driver doing that, you have a crew stretching the line, you have an officer leading the crew, and you have people getting in place. Uh, I can tell you that the only reason why this has worked for our department for many times, and especially on those particular fires, garden departments, townhouses, those kind of fires, is because the guys train on it. 
They literally go out and train on it. They understand what everybody's role is when we roll up on this. The driver does this. The officer does this. The back step guy does that. The backup man does this. And they literally drill and drill and drill on it until time happens, and then everybody knows their role. Everybody knows where they have to be, and they make it happen. I don't think that by using the deck gun, you're any less aggressive. I think you're actually more aggressive by saying, look, man, these guys trained on this to the regular. At the end of the day, our job is to stop fires and get people out, right? And if we can look at this fire and say, wow, we stopped a rock and fire. We rescued this many people, and we did it in two different ways. We used the deck gun, and we put guys on the floor. That's a home run in my book. It's a home run. So question about a deck gun. I, I think that there are people on this, some, maybe some on this panel, that have been around long enough. So, I've been at, I, ever, since I was five, this is all I ever wanted to do. And my father was a firefighter, so I spent a lot of time watching him. What's old is new. What's new is old. We use blitz attacks. You know, this whole transitional idea and all these other great terms and things that are put to, you know, new inventions, they're not new. I can't. You know, many a day in the city of Milwaukee, I also agree, I consider fairly aggressive. But many a day, stretching between a, in a gangway, you would give that, the nozzleman would give a quick biff in the basement windows before we would make the steps. Why? Because you can't make the steps if you don't give it a good shot. So all of these things, you know, we did them. There's only, since the day of Ben Franklin, what did we do? You put water on fire, you cool the BTUs, fire goes out. And we've gotten in a society, I think, right now, that there are people that, because they want to make money off of, they come up with these great ideas. But the reality is, they're the same ideas. So using a deck gun, if it's used properly, you know, you look and you say, uh, how, do, how does a tower ladder in New York City, where do you see them a lot? They're sitting on a curb. They're on a sidewalk. Well, are they cowards? No, they're using smart thinking. They can, they can drop the 75, with a tower ladder, you can drop the 75 feet to the rear wall of a taxpayer and darken everything down so you can go in and mop things up. So, again, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with using a deck gun as long as you train on it, you drill on it, and you don't dump your first 500 gallons on the side of the wall because you can't find the window. Yeah, I think, you know, to, not to answer that question, but, so when I was assigned to the training academy, I was tasked with qualifying guys on, on engine company operations. That was, one of the, that was one of the things that I tested guys on was I had them flow multiple lines with a deck gun. Reason being is, you know, you, you learn gating and things like that. If you look at all the new building construction, you look at these conflagrations we're having with these mid-rises and these high-rises that are built out of all stick and wood. I mean, what realistically, what are you going to be flowing? You're going to be flowing big lines. You're going to be flowing deck guns. So it needs to be trained on more. It needs to be, you know, a, a tactic that's brought back. Um, and it needs to be something that, 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 you know, that we focus on, that our people are able to do efficiently as much as stretching an inch and three-quarter line because take a, take a drive around the city of New Haven, it's, that's all you're going to see. You know, those buildings get going. You, guess what? You're not going in. You're, you're, hitting, you're hitting it with deck guns. All right, so to Timmy's point, Timmy's got the question. I was there. We did knock down a, quite a bit of fire with a deck gun prior to advancing, you know, a line into the, the fire room and putting the fire out. Uh, it did save the building. The building's rebuilt. It's fine. Everybody's living in it, and we're off to the races, right? 
Um, I see Kyle Krupa here. Kyle and I have had a long conversation. City of New Haven used to run deck guns on the cabs of their upper, the, the ladder companies. Lemonster, I think, does, right, Dan? Still does. Yeah. Still does. They, their truck companies all have uh, deck guns mounted on them, not on the aerial, like a, a deck gun mounted on the apparatus fixed. Truck's always in front of the building, right? So that's one way you could do it. The other thing is we've been hammering this low staffing issue. Um, guys, if you're a one-line fire department, which the vast majority of departments are a single-line, inch-three-quarter fire department, that's what's going to put the fire out, then being able to blitz it with a, an inch, uh, with a, with a deck gun in order to get your inch-three-quarter in place and be that, that aggressive one-line fire department, that's how you're going to succeed. Chief, I want to hop on that real quick. Just my own take on this question because I love it. I come from an area that's very large square footage homes, single-family homes, very large square footage, typical setbacks, right? So you're talking long driveways, limited water supply, right? So you're talking about the biggest bang for your buck on arrival for a short-staffed company, right? So I look at this room, and I think there's probably a lot of areas right outside of this area where we're talking large square footage, single-family home, probably newer construction. You're seeing a lot of lightweight construction. So you're having a lot of fire advancement on I saw a photo the other day, and you know this place is off to the races, like a three-story brick. I think it was somewhere in PA. But the deck gun's flowing, and it's falling apart six feet after the apparatus. I don't even think it made the fire bill. So it's just you've got to know what you're using, what your tips are, and are we being effective? Because it doesn't matter whether it's a hand line, a deck gun, a ladder pipe. If we're not hitting the fire, then we are not doing any good at all. How do we save people? It's kind of fire truck guy. We save people by putting the fire out. I, I think we set ourselves up to fail with our chauffeurs. Because what's the first thing that you tell a chauffeur when you're pulling up to a fire building? You pull past the fire building to what? Leave room for the truck. Well, I know. I, I honestly, oh, I yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so we buy these, we buy towel ladders, we buy ladder trucks, and we have it, but teach our engine chauffeurs to pull past the fire building to leave room for the truck like almost like a block if they need it because we've all heard it or said it we have plenty of hose we can stretch forever we got plenty of hose. so we get our chauffeurs in the mindset that they were going to drive up and they're going to see the building on fire i gotta leave room for the truck i gotta leave room for the truck and they drive past the fire building so now how are we doing so do we augment our training to be like hey we have to make an audible here nope stop here pivot out a little bit 
get the deck in a place, we're going to blast it, the truck can work around us? Or is that officer going to be like, oh, I just got to get off the truck and do my size up? How many times do you bury the weakest guy in the driver's seat instead of putting him on the back? That's me. Right? Yeah. That's just a true conversation. Weakest guy in a four-man company, he's driving. Not on the truck. Not on the truck. No, you oh, got the truck. Guy, truck God is, forbid. Hey, yes. oh, that guy's got a thing. Oh, hey, listen. Oh. All right. Listen, I'm going to try it without the mic this time because of the feedback. It's not bad. But it is about training. It's about training because... Uh, you know, if you have if you have that ball valve up on the top, he charges it. Um, if you know what that tip, what, what tip is on there? Seriously, what tip is on your deck gun right now? Is it a one inch tip? One inch, three inch. Yeah, inch and a sixteenth, inch and a quarter, inch and an eighth. Know what it flows. Give it a thirty second dash. You got a five hundred gallon tank. You're flowing two hundred sixty gallons a minute. You hit it for thirty seconds. You still got a whole lot of water left. So know what you're doing. If you know what you're doing, everyone acts like, well, we, we've done it. You know what? Just do it. I'm driving today. Hey, you know, if I do this, that means more pressure. I do that, it means less. That's ridiculous. You should know what you're doing. You should know how your rig works. You should know how much gallons you have, how long you can flow that thing. You should know how long you can flow your first line off. You should be able to pull a, a two and a half off and, and hit it in the mouth. If it's off plane, if you're using your deck gun on a garage fire, I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen a lot of people washing garage floors with their deck gun. It doesn't hit where the fire is. If you're going to use your deck gun and it's not on the second floor, you're probably washing floors. But that's huge, too. Like, a lot of people, like, you're pulling up with 500, 750 gallons now. Guys think that this water is going to be gone in no time. It's like, I don't care what's on fire in that building. You're not going to run out in the next couple minutes while I stretch this line and get a hydrant. Hopefully guys, somebody else shows and up. And you guys are getting there. Yeah, like, I mean, with us, like, we so, get our own yeah, yeah. hydrant. So. Great point, because here's the thing, right? When you flow an inch and three-quarter hand line, yeah, this is ridiculous. <laughs> how many gallons this, a minute? Oh, and this oh, is yeah. a quiz. I'm not putting people on the spot. <laughs> but how many gallons a minute do you get out of an inch and three-quarter smooth-core nozzle? You get about a 160. 160 gallons a minute. If you're riding a 500-gallon engine, right? Even if you're not going up that, you're going to get almost three minutes out of that, right? But again, you should be flowing water instead of flowing water into smoke. My point. That's, that's three minutes of continuously Continue, flowing yes. water, which 100%. doesn't happen. So 100%. Yes. You're in there doing it. You're in there training seconds. You're in there doing it. You're in there doing it. But if you think about that, on a lot of your first two work, if it's, a, if it's a room and contents, two room and contents, when you think about that, that much water, you could you could put out a whole second story of a home, right? Jeremy, let me let, let me ask. I'm gonna, I want to ask a question real quick. Is there anybody in this room, and you don't have to feel embarrassed or not, but is there anybody in this room who has actually gone out with their crew, pulled a line, charged it, and flew water and used a stopwatch to see how much water you can flow? No, yeah. never done it. Yeah. So I'll be honest with you, and that goes back to my original statement, it's a training issue. And honestly, that's our fault as, as all company officers. It's a training issue. We literally do that on a regular. And actually, that's our driver's test. When I, <laughs> yeah, when I got cut loose to drive a wagon, yo, is this, is this being recorded? Yeah. Shh, fuck. Don't worry, we'll just beep the whole thing out. Don't worry. When, I got, when I got cut loose to... Could, hey, hold on, hold hey, can we put day, it on right? pause? Hey, Sebi, cut this out yeah, when Sebi. you listen to this. All right. Hey, RJ to Sebi, cut this out. Pause so, 
When I got cut loose to drive a wagon, that was part of uh, wagon is where I come from. We call it an engine, engine company. We call it a wagon. That was part of our driver's test. All right. So part of the driver's test was you had a crew stretch a line. You had to charge the line. They had to flow water. And the test was they tried to make you run out of water. And you literally have to make sure you have your char lines charged. And they'll try to make you charge other lines. And they're going to continuously flow the water till you can get your hydrant hooked up and get your water supply established and all that. So they will literally try to make you run out of water. I think that if you don't train that way, if you don't train to make sure that you know how long you have before you run out of water, you're just going to be operating willy-nilly all the time. So if you don't, and I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but if you've never trained that way, you should train that way to understand how much time you have. Like everybody up here said, you have more time than you think, right? And honestly, I think, and not, not to take anybody down a rabbit hole, but we can go down that whole space about operating the line and keeping it open and closing it. And that's another fault of us as instructors uh, and academies where we teach people to go in, open up a line, shut it down, open up a line, shut it down, open up a line, shut it down. Whereas we don't, don't put the fire out because we got more guys that need to get, get nozzle time, right? But I think that when you actually train that way and you train and you pull out your iPhone or whatever kind of phone you have and you actually operate the stopwatch and see what you can do and how long you can flow on your stopwatch, and on top of that, watch your driver to see how much stuff he can get done in that little bit of time. You'd be really surprised. And I think that's, yeah. You talk a lot about training. Do you make your guys stretch on smells and bells? At least one a trick, bullshit, bullshit cough, stretch once? 100%. So I have a rule if it's uh, two and one. So anything that requires two engines in the truck, anything that's two and one or more, my driver's hooking up to the plug and my, my crew's stretching. And, and, it, and the reason being is because it just creates one of those things where as a boss, I now can teach them in a like, non-threatening environment, but they also can understand my expectations on the bullshit runs. And then they get into a system of now when we run a real one, I don't have to tell them what to do, right? They've practiced this so many times on the smaller ones, they know what to do. In fact, it's my job to make sure I, I want to tell them something different faster than they can do what I think they, what I, what they know I want. Does that make sense? So put it this way. For example, we roll up on a, a single-family house, two-story single-family house. I got fire showing on the second floor, right? I'm going to get off the rig. I know that my backstep guys were able to calculate this distance, know what kind of line that I want, and where to have that line without me telling them. Now, I come off the rig, I do my 360, and I see, something I see something that strikes me. I have to make sure that I can get back to the front to let these guys know I want to do something different faster than they can have in place what I know them to have in place. Does that make sense to everybody? So that only comes from training. And as a guy who has a big, big football background, I love football, I live football, I grew up playing football, I played semi-pro football, that comes from literally walking out your plays, right? If you walk out plays with people, right? Monday through Thursday, if you guys ever played football, Monday through Thursday, those are practice runs, right? Those are the times where you got to change up the play, you got to perfect it, kind of make sure, you see how things laid out, who's gonna go where, who's gonna do what. Friday, we were doing the walkthrough, Saturday's the game, right? So in the fire service, I literally teach that same concept with my guys, right? 
we go out and train. That's the Monday through Thursday. We're walking the play out. We're, we're seeing it. We're looking at it. We're seeing who's going where, who's going to do what, right? And then we literally implement it. So when the time comes, everybody knows their place, everybody knows their role, and everybody is at the spot. And I don't have to tell them anything. But that comes from us training that way so that when we hit the fire ground, it just naturally goes in place and everybody knows where they need to be and what they need to do. I forgot to bring tickets. But if you guys want to fight me, I'm going to be outside. I was on the UL panel. I was lucky to be on the UL panel. And so I know it happened in the lab. You're not riding things. home with me tonight. What is it? You're not riding home with me tonight. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I'll get up. I'll take the ambulance to the hospital. It's fine. But in all of those experiments, I know it was in a lab. I was going to say that. Every, um, there was actually furnished, framed houses that were burnt with the exact same things in it. Three rooms of fire. The... Most amount of water that was used on every single one of those fires was no more than 260 gallons. No more. And that included hydraulic ventilation. You can put that fire out. Convince the chief to let you put the fire out. You can do it. I love you. You can do it. <laughs> one of the best lines I ever heard from a lieutenant, my, my first lieutenant, we went to a, a job in a project. It was a, a all-brick project room. And the first new company was operating the line for a while. And he literally said, you've officially done more water damage than fire damage. Bro, shut that thing off. It's true. Anybody have any questions from the audience for the panel? Anybody want to fight Ron outside? <laughs> We got to take her here, Ron. Both of you at the same time. Both of you at the same time. Are you time. always so this good? Let's get out there. Hey, you know what? If I don't get out there in time, get started so. without me. What's that? All down practice. Yeah, down. yeah practice. Let's break your hip. Jeremy, you got anything else? I do have something else. I have beers for some of the panelists. say this too, right? I think what's really important about tonight is the fact that you guys are here. Um, I think when you get an opportunity to talk about the job, I mean, that's what I do with the podcast, Rob does with the podcast. You got to talk about the job. Um, Bro, you are like the Guy Fieri of the fire service. <laughs> You are. Thank like you. the off-ramp to Tillotown. Thank you, Jay Urban. No, we've, we've I'm dis- serious. We've like, you this. are. Like, Me you and Jay are bringing, have discussed this at length. Right. You are. You are bringing good stuff. Right. Hey, everybody. There, right? It's Jeremy. Welcome to Engines, Ladder Trucks, and Right. Yeah, exactly. Squats. Firehouses, conferences, and, <laughs> and trade shows, you know? <laughs> it is. But I tell you, you put diners, drive-ins, and dives on the firehouse, nobody turns it off. Right? No, you're absolutely You do a great thing. Right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Ron, give him the laugh. Come on. So I do want to finish up with this, right? So a couple, of these guys, a couple of these guys have been on the podcast. I've been to Pete's shop numerous times. I've gotten to know the staff here. I've gotten to staff the people. The people that are preserving what's really important to all of us. I mean, I take great value in my helmet that I wear for the last almost 30 years now. I take great pride in that. And to be honest with you, National Fire Radio six years ago, I didn't know you could restore a leather helmet. I really didn't. Like, I just, I didn't know that was a thing. And I've gotten brought into this culture I absolutely love. But I challenge you all tonight, the fact that you guys spent a few hours here today matters. Go 
go home and take this conversation back to your firehouse and invigorate the people that are in front of you that are keeping you down. Like, don't ever sacrifice your own values for the piece of shit in your firehouse that thinks it's not worth anything. We all have them, every single firehouse. The best firehouse in the country has one guy, two guys that are the naysayers. They don't promote, they don't push you forward, they take care of you. family photo for a reason. But I mean that. I mean that, and, and I am super passionate about it. I am grateful for all the relationships that I've been able to form. I am friends. I mean, I met Paul Conway tonight. met the chief from Greenwich tonight. But other than that, I've gotten to know these guys. These guys, Most of these guys have been on the podcast. They've all been on the podcast except for you too. So we have to get you on. So for me, it's a selfish endeavor, man. I freaking love it. When you surround yourself with really good people, become better as a person. I'm better today than I was six years ago when I started National Fire Radio because I get to hang out with the coolest freaking people in the industry. I challenge you to do the same and anybody can do it. So stay in love with the job, push the job forward, go after your firehouse, kick those assholes in the ass, and keep doing what you do and keep showing up to events like this because it matters. Yeah. I just, I, I want to add on to that for a minute. You know, when we talked at the beginning, we opened this with what the senior man is. And in my fire department, to stop that, the senior man at the kitchen table would always say, he would be the, you know, he, in our firehouses, the senior man is truly the informal leader. The officers are, they're in a different world. But the senior man would, if a guy was complaining, if he had his, today's the day I'm going to complain about something, they would literally say, you got 10 minutes. Get that off your chest, and then shut up. Because we're not going to let that attitude infect this company. So get it off. Speak your piece. Rant and rave. Ten minutes. Then zip it. Because if you don't, I'll zip it for you. And that was, you know, in, in the time that I worked, that was a, that was a genuine... I will be Rob, and we'll be wrestling in the parking lot. 
So I'll zip it because you can't okay. let that attitude destroy your company. And we were just discussing a minute ago, RJ and I, you know, when you said, well, there's always that guy. You know what? I'd shove that guy off my company. Go somewhere else. Now, I had a job big enough that I could say, look, dude, you're not meant here. Leave. Get out because I'm not having you here. And they would leave because they didn't like to train every day. They didn't like to do things at 3 o'clock in the morning. So you can control your destiny. You really can. And like they said, don't let that negative set in. Don't become a recliner firefighter. Be the person as uh, I think it's, uh, I know it's a gentleman from Chicago and I can't think of it now, but be the person who you want showing up for your family. Because you owe that to the shoulders that you stand on to the brothers and sisters of this fire service that were here long before us. You owe that to them. Be the firefighter that you are supposed to be. That's it. Got something here from the audience real quick. Do you want to follow up this? Yeah. Oh, all right, Bob. Uh, your mom. Your mom. He knew Sammy. I was going to say something. Pause. <laughs> 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 I just <laughs> Sebi, pause the tape. I just want to say something. I've been in the fire service. That's right. Thirty-four years. That's right. I've never been in a fire. Don't know what you guys are talking about. But I'm a wife of a firefighter. I'm a mother of a firefighter. Don't bring your job home. We are there to support you. We are there when things go bad for you. Don't bring it home. The other thing I want to say is that Robert started. RJ. Sorry. Sebi. Robert. Robert. Your name is Robert. Robert. <laughs> Robert started as a explorer. Someone gave him an opportunity. You have got to give other people opportunities. If you don't, none of these guys would be here if somebody hasn't given them an opportunity. 100%. Do the same. Reach back, bring one with you. That's all. Thank you. Robert. Can, Seth, can we actually address the fact that my mom is actually the only one I got a stand ovation for tonight? <laughs> but what I want to say, though, before we... Uh, close out the night. I just want to say, first and foremost, thank you guys. Um, and my own tidbit, just because all of us are sitting in these chairs, none of us are any better than you guys sitting in those chairs. And one of the biggest things I, I want to tell you guys, uh, and I didn't get a chance to say when Chief McCarthy was talking about it, uh, I know that the struggle is that there's people that are making you guys study shit that's not worthwhile. I, I know that. Uh, but Part of my job is to advocate for you guys and to fight those fights so that we can stop that. The fire service is struggling with us to be able to be able to teach the stuff from the streets. Uh, there's people way above us sitting on this wall here that make the rules for us. And unfortunately, we, do, we all do the best that we can to teach what we think people really need to know. And I know all these guys here and everybody's passionate about sharing the information that help everybody get the job done the right way. Not what the book says, but the right way. The stuff that you need to know to survive the streets, 
the stuff that the book's really not talking. Everybody up here is a street fireman. I know them personally. But I want to say that our commitment, everybody up here, our commitment to everybody out there, even the people watching, is that we are going to continue to fight to make sure that we continue to teach people what they need to know to survive on the streets and not what the book says. We all know the book does not teach you what you need to know to survive on the streets. The people in the audience, the people watching the tape, the people sitting up here are the ones who are going to teach you what you need to know. So my point is to that is when we leave here today, I want you to know that everybody up here is fighting the fight for everybody in the American Fire Service. Uh, we're not just up here speaking stuff. We're just actually, we're, we live by it. So I want to thank everybody for uh, coming out, listening to what uh, I had to say, as well as these guys who are all my friends up here. And I just want to leave it with my thoughts saying to you guys that we are going to continue to do right by the fire service and fight to make sure that we can continue to give the American Fire Service what it deserves. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for, uh, for this evening and this roundtable. Uh, sorry, Chief. <laughs> no, go ahead. I just got to ask to hold the mic. Oh, okay, yeah. I was just wrapping up, so that's, you know. Jeremy, take us out. Last words, Chief. Go. We're I got to go last. I got to go last. He's got to be a Because he's going to do some long, drawn out. Yeah. Uh, all right, so. Yeah. so rock top helmets. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, Ro Robin. <laughs> so I'll say this. Robin, Jeremy, you guys brought up a, 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 the point at the very beginning that we got to keep traditions alive. I think going back to the beginning and, and keeping things simple is, uh, is the way to go. Overcomplication is what's killing the fire service. Go back to the basics. Go back to what you know, and I guarantee we'll 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 be all right. Jay, up, Jay? Uh, thank you, all of you, Peter. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you all. Um, don't spend a lot of time learning the tricks of the trade. Just learn the trade. Best advice I have. Going to trade. Yeah. Think inside the box. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Ron? No. The parking lot. Keep it short. I was just kidding about the fight. I won't fight. I'm kidding. I love you all. I love you guys. I love these guys. I love the. I love the ability to do this. Uh, I've been. I've been blessed beyond any measure. I know, and it wasn't luck. I mean, I worked every. Every. Fucking, I'm sorry. Every second. Training checking. I do love you guys. I love the fire service. I, I've spent all of my whole entire life loving the fire service. I put my first fire out when I was seven, and I'm not going to stop until I'm dead. Love Training checking. Training You're up there. Yeah, Thanks to Pete for doing all this. Yay, Pete. Thank you to the staff. The staff of Ragtop, unbelievable. I mean, they set everything up in here. All the tables got us whatever we needed, duct tape. Don't ask why, but um, whatever we needed. So thank you to the staff. Thanks to the bartenders. Thanks to the pizza guys. All of you guys, thank, thank you for coming out. Like, you guys are what makes 
no one showed up, it'd be really weird if we were up here talking. So, still doing this. Um, <laughs> we still do it. But uh, thank you guys. Keep doing the right thing. Keep training. Reach out. If you have a question or you want to know something, reach out to any single one of us. I get questions on Instagram all the time. And guess what? I don't know everyone. I reach out. I'll reach out to one of these people. Hey, have you ever run into this? What's the answer to this? I'll get you the answer. One of us will get you the answer. So just keep doing the right thing. And just remember, like my good friend TK said, it's okay to love the job. All right, last words. I got two things. Then we're going to raffle off the uh, the N5A. So somebody's going to walk away with an N5A tonight. Um, thank you to... Everybody here on the panel, thank you to National Fire Radio. I call Jeremy and I say, hey, I've got this idea. And he says, all right, I'm in. And it doesn't even, he doesn't even question. He just says, how can I support you? Uh, he wishes. He's probably going to block my number on his phone at some point soon. But um, the only thing I can say to you guys is, you know, is to just be yourself. I live life by the seat of my pants. Um, where's Jill? Jill's in the back there. Jill, God bless Jill, Jill, God bless Jill. Um, <laughs> so I just, I come up with ideas and my staff and Jill, they just, they go with it. And I actually had somebody tell me I should not live life the way that I do and come up with these ideas and make things run. And, you know, I decided I wanted to go out and build a structural firefighting glove and I did. Um, and I had a lot of people tell me not to, um, but I did anyways. And without my staff, without Jill, without Jill's husband, that probably talks her off the ledge every day. Tyler, thank you. Um, that guy's awesome. I bought him a couple of beers. Yeah. Um, without my staff, without Joe, Dan, Chelsea, Jordan, Joy, Dominique, Jack, Johnny, Sam, Rob VC's a Make-A-Wish uh, project. Um, you know, I... I Rob, your mom talked about opportunities, and I did a Make-A-Wish opportunity, and uh, worked out really well. Worked out, yeah, worked out really well. Um, but no, without my staff, there's no way I'd be sitting here today. So thank you to you guys. I'm just the idea guy. The staff is actually who gets it done, so uh, they deserve more credit, and I love you guys dearly. Um, Tyler, I'm not kidding about. I know how much you talk her off the ledge, and I really do appreciate that. Please keep doing that. I'll pay you on the side. Um, so that's all I have. And the last thing is, guys, this is the first year we did this. I appreciate the guys that have stuck here throughout the entire thing. We're trying to figure out timings. We're trying to figure out when to do things and when not to do things. Um, next year is going to be uh, fantastic. Captain Tim Papp over there, uh, very good, good friend of mine, and uh, he's going to be here next year um, And because uh, the, start ti- the start time will be 4 o'clock. We'll, we'll, we'll confirm the start time before, uh, before in our initial conversation before we go. <laughs> um, no, we look forward to next year, and, you know, and thank you guys for putting up with us for the, uh, for the timings and figuring these things out. So, guys, thank you very much for coming out tonight. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next year. You sure? That's it. We're good, man.